Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, you think originality is overpriced? Um, if you're talking about us, I don't think we're original. So in our case, then, you really can't put a price on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, today we have some information on a wine company that says it replicates big-name wines and oh, charges boy. half the price. And, Paul, I'm thinking maybe we should do that with the podcast. So we don't charge anything already. So are you going to cut the price in half, Rick? Good plan. All right. Never mind about that. <laughs> also today, listeners ask about bubbles in champagne, about box wines, and using soap on expensive wine glasses. Uh-huh. Our horrible wine writing has more cliches than a barrel of monkeys. A barrel full of monkeys. A barrel full. Yeah, it's just a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> don't mess up your cliches, Paul. <laughs> and as usual, we will be making fun of wine snobs. Thank God. A couple of reminders. We are still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. And they're recommended. You would think by now they would have figured it out. No, nope, we love them. Five think. years on Five. their recommended podcast. Capital Public Radio. Uh, we're also on Napa Broadcasting, a network that comes out of Napa Valley College. Yes, where I teach, and they apparently have relatively low standards. Yes, that explains a lot. Uh, and thank goodness that social media has low standards because we are on Facebook and uh, Instagram and Twitter. Twitter. My understanding is that social media has no standards whatsoever. That's why we're on it. Uh, <laughs> that is at rickandpaulwine.com. You can find us there on Twitter. Uh, go to any of those spots, ask us a question. And and if, feel free to uh, review us well. Review us well on yes. iTunes. Give us 12 stars. Yes. Yes. What, 12 stars at least. Yes. Or two fingers up or yes. whatever it is. Yes. I said give us a big smiley face. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. So, and, uh, and all that stuff. Well, speaking of smiley faces, let's talk about Replica Wines. Uh, Replica Wines, which right. com- comes from a Denver-based company called... With no hesitation, replica wines. Okay. So they're pretty straightforward about what they do, and which makes wine. They make wines that taste like popular wines. On their website, they say each of their wines actually compare a big name wine. So underneath it, they'll have their name of their wine, and then yeah. they'll have the name of a wine that, like, wine we are not going to use because we don't want to get sued. We don't want to get sued. But uh, they this they say basically what they do. This is what they do. They say they analyze the chemical compounds in those big name wines, and then quote unquote reverse engineer. That's their term. Yep. To make a replica. Yep. And what they, and basically what they do, they say it's through the winemaking process and the grape growing process and the sourcing process. Yeah. And they're just buying uh, bulk wines on the market and yes. blending them is what they're doing. And, and tasting. And so, tasting. Rick, how is this different from those guys who buy the Pontiac Fiero and then build the Ferrari body over the top of it? Uh, so, from the outside, it looks like they're driving a Ferrari, but they, in their heart of hearts, knows that know what they're driving is a Pontiac Fiero. Well, the difference is uh, they're not selling that car. Well, they do eventually, but, but they're not true. selling and it as a Ferrari. And they don't tell the guy that who they're selling it to. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is the the cultured diamonds, right? The you know the people who are making the the synthetic diamonds. In fact, De Beers recently came out and said they were going to start selling synthetic diamonds as an alternative to diamonds you dig up in the earth. Well, there's and there's there's some reasons for that, uh, you know, in, including uh, cruelty issues. But it's it's really off the subject. The, so the, the diamonds get hurt. Yes, diamonds feel pain. <laughs> They do. <laughs> Why do diamonds cry? You've seen that. Um, all right. So about this company, though, one thing I will say is they're clearly not trying to fool anyone. This is let No, me, they're being absolutely yeah. upfront about it. This is what they say. We say, and we know it's impossible to produce an identical comedy with traditional winemaking right. techniques of our winemaker, expertise of our master sommelier, 
They have a master on staff. Oh, good. And science to guide us with taste and aroma profile road roadmaps, we can get extremely close. We aspire to a 95% match, create wines that are indistinguishable from your favorite ones. Okay. Aspire to a 95% match means zero. Well, yeah, because it could not be a 95% they match. They could aspire to. to a 100% match. If they're coming out with 30%, who cares? Yeah. So um, I don't know. I don't think people buy wine specifically just because of the flavor. I think they buy wine because of the story behind the wine, the association they have with the brand, all of that stuff. And buying something that's made in a laboratory that tastes kind of like it doesn't seem very satisfying to me. Well, let me uh, – I'm not quite sure what I think about this. I, I tend to be do, in your you camp on this right? one. Um, I, I do. I do. Okay. In this case, I've thought, I've thought about this for – a minute or two. <laughs> and, uh, many, I, many seconds. Many seconds. <laughs> so I think if you didn't know that and it said this tastes like X Chardonnay. Right. Somebody came up to you and said this tastes like X right. Chardonnay. You'd, you'd buy it. Well, let's put so, it this way. There are a ton of wineries throughout history who have gone around the country tasting their wine against their competitor and saying we're either almost as good or we're a little better, but we're less expensive. So try ours instead. So – so selling wine based on that tactic isn't necessarily um, a, a new idea. What's new here is the idea that they're basically creating wines out of— Well, what is a bit new is that they are just so upfront about saying they're using science— Copy. It, science right. to, to copy. Right, um, right. You know, but— and I'll, the wines, well, the, their price range is fifteen to twenty dollars. So they're basically copying thirty to forty ish dollar wines. Right. Um, so first off, they're making they're not making super super cheap wines. But the other thing is that, and so the, so they're already sort of out of the price range I'm about to talk about. But you know, I, I've said this before with with wine, and there's nothing wrong with this. That it's just another supermarket supermarket product for lots of people. Tuesday night, grab a bottle of wine, have yes, it with dinner. Yes, but the people who are buying the wine in the supermarket, they it's you say it's just another supermarket product, but it's it's important to people. When they buy a bottle of wine, it's different than buying a box of macaroni. They have more emotionally invested well, in and it. And one of it comes in glass. Well, and when they put it on the table, people see the label. And you, you, got, and, you got to cook the macaroni. And, yeah. and you don't see the label on the table. Yeah. So I know you're trying to be funny here, but you're actually helping me prove my point here. No, I put the label on the table. I actually <laughs> cook it right into the macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> so some lucky diner yes. is actually going to get the macaroni Soaking package. Soaking out. Going, wow. Yum. <laughs> Smith macaroni, my favorite. <laughs> no, it's a branded product for yeah. a reason. I mean, when you ask consumers what they want in wine, interestingly enough, the two elements they mention most specifically are personality and authenticity. And this product doesn't offer either one. Yeah, but it does offer consistency. Consistency, and that's another thing that well, they do watch. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not endorsing them. I'm just saying I'm not I, 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 you I do understand. I, I do understand that. Yeah. And I do think – and one of the things that we do know this about supermarket wines is that you go back and you buy the wine that you buy every, for your Tuesday night every time. And if it tastes sure. different, you're disappointed. You, and it's right. not about well, the personality. It's it about the better. taste. Yeah. Unless it tastes better. But – yeah. If it doesn't taste as good, if it tastes differently and not as good, then you right. are, yeah. And, yep. uh, and so, yep. so there is there is both of those. Um, one of the things I do like about the, is their cheekiness, and this is in their FAQs. Okay. They say, how is it that Replica has not been sued by the wine companies it replicates? <laughs> and they say, creating a product inspired by another popular product but for a better value is not unlawful. 
just as you might find a generic brand in a supermarket, which is, this is actually not true because it's the same thing then, like a generic drug, uh, almost identical in quality to the well, original. Well, but a generic cola versus a sure, Coca-Cola? Sure. That's a... So uh, almost identical in quality to the original. Replica is nearly indistinguishable in taste from the wines that inspire, but not an exact copy. We nearly. Hope this is the. We hope other winemakers are flattered to know their wines are inspired replica. Well, in fact, most in most cases, I'm going to argue that the winemakers aren't the people who are thinking about this. It's their marketing people who are concerned that their brand is sure. being damaged by replicas. Sure. Oh, I, I think. Well, in that case, now there is probably the strongest argument against this that that, that it could actually damage a, a fairly done brand, where these people, you know, the other brand was working hard, trying to do what it's trying to do, and. Um, so, you know, uh, we're, so all we're, I want to know is if I can buy a bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild for f- something that tastes 95 percent like Chateau Lafitte Rothschild and is $15 a bottle, I, I would want to try it. On the other hand, I can imagine a wine that tastes 95 percent like Chateau Lafitte Rothschild and 5 percent like something else, and it could be really, really awful. It depends what the 5 percent is. <laughs> if, it, if it is like uh, – and I've Ash, I was, I think it was Ashley uh, from a show we from, did last week or right, two weeks ago. Right, from Oregon. If it tastes like pickle wine. Yeah, no pickle wine here. No, we're, no. no yes. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we're, we are in the business, so we have uh, different actions. So I went to somebody much smarter than me. Your wife. Who is not in the business. Exactly right. Yep. And I asked her what she thought. And uh, and she said, and I'm quoting. She said, "I kind of don't like it." Yeah. And then I said, "Why?" And she said, "Just make your own. Just make your own wine." That's really kind yeah. of the that's answer. That's a that's a good. Just answer. make your just own. make your own wine. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to just make our own answers because we're going to take some questions. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We're, we're going to make that up. We actually are going to scientifically reverse engineer our answers. Are we? What we're going to do is we're going to find real answers, and then we're going to we're going to analyze them. We're, we're going to backpedal, and, and we're going to get ninety five percent of them. Ninety five percent correct. We're going to aspire to a ninety five percent correct answer. That's it. All right. So if you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer almost ninety five percent correctly, go to, our, go to our website at rickandpaulwine.com. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. Just Rick and Paul Wine. So you at Rick and Paul Wine. Yep. All right. Our first one comes from Elizabeth in Foster City. Okay. That's a good one. She says, how do bubbles get into champagne? Is it like soda or carbonated water? Well, it's very interesting that she actually specifically said champagne. But though I suspect she might just mean all bubbly. But well, in but champagne, she didn't say, there's a difference. She didn't say all bubbly. Oh, sure. I, See, your Honor, I am, objection. But I'm taking 95% of this question. <laughs> and, <laughs> so let's talk about champagne first. Okay. So technically, and the reason it's an issue is champagne has legally trademarked mark the name champagne and you can't use it for any other product except in the U.S. where we don't recognize European trade mark laws. And it turns out that champagne is made by actually fermenting the wine in the bottle so that the f- gas that is created during fermentation never leaves the bottle, and that's how they get the bubbles and, in champagne. And remember, the very short uh, this exam is yeast eat the how wine gets made. Fundamentally, is yeast eat the sugars, and they give off it gives off a byproduct is alcohol and carbon dioxide and heat. And heat. So the CO2 is the So the carbon dioxide creates the bubbles. There are sparkling wines that are absolutely made by simply injecting CO2 into the wine. There are wines. That's like the sodas. And there are sparkling wines that are made where they're fermented in a big tank and then bottled to save their carbonation. So lots of different techniques. The classic method, which is the method used in Champagne and many of the top sparkling wines around the world, the wine is actually 
fermented in the bottle and that fermentation, the gas produced during fermentation creates the bubbles. Yeah, it's actually a very cool thing. We, uh, we've, we've talked about it. We usually talk about it around the end of the year and, and sort of the details, a little more detail because, of course, the end of the year people are toasting with various bubblies. But it, toasting it's, and getting toasted. It's, cool, it's a very cool thing. But in essence, in most cases, this is probably getting done in the bottle and, and, and only in very rare cases for usually inexpensive sparkling wines is it injected like soda or carbonated right. water. Yep. All right. Our next one is from Mario in Placerville. What do you guys think of box wines? Well, I like box spaghetti and macaroni, so why wouldn't I like box wines? Well, in fact, um, the problem that box wines have in the market is that 20 years ago, box wines were the cheapest possible wines you could buy. There are now some fairly serious wines being made and, yeah. and boxed, not bottled. Note that, Rick. They are boxed. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty good. Yeah. And it's a wonderful container if you like a glass of wine per night because as you drink the wine out of the box, of course, the little plastic envelope inside the box collapses, never lets air into the wine. And I think I saw some figures from Australia that something like a, a huge percentage of the everyday table wine sold in Australia is sold in a box because Australians love the idea. You got a box in the fridge, it's already cold, it stays fresh until the last drop, and you just go in and pour yourself a glass every night before dinner. Wait, it you, you doesn't don't, work. You don't finish your box? It doesn't work for <laughs> it's Rick. Only four bottles. Because, <laughs> because Rick can't understand the idea of having any wine left over. It just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so, but there are really some good boxes. You know, actually, one of it's a funny thing that one of the issues with box wine in the box wine industry or the wine industry is that. People can't – even though some wineries would like to, they can't actually put really good wine into um, box wines because we're sort of assuming that the price won't be particularly high. Right. It's, so it sort yeah. of tops out maybe at $28, $30 or Cause so. Because a, a, a box is three or four bottles four. of wine. Four. It's generally four bottles of wine, yeah. And so if you're putting a $50 bottle of Cabernet in there, it's tough to envision selling a $200 box of box wine. Well, and to your earlier point about romance, it doesn't have the romance uh, that a $50 bottle of wine is often expected to have. But it's great right. to have— nor, nor are there many people who right. are used to having a glass of $50 bottle of wine every night for dinner, which is the other example or the other reason you want to go with the box is you can drink it over and over and over again over a period of time and it stays fresh. Yes. But but there are plenty of good wines out there that are in boxes. And, yeah. Um, and, and there are, you know, and actually now the wine magazines and all those review them and they, and yep. they treat them fairly. And yep. so that's a pretty good—so yep. so the answer, Mario, is if you find one you like, you'll, you'll, you, you can probably find one you like is what the answer is. Yes. All right. Well, that is it for questions for now. For now. We will have more questions in just a bit, which we will answer 95% completely. As, no, we will aspire, aspire to Aspire to 95% complete answers. <laughs> We're we have now 105% really horrible wine writing coming right up. <laughs> that is it. That is the sign. That is the sound. That is the signal. Really horrible wine writing. Uh, Paul, so... What do you have? Well, this isn't actually a description of a wine this time, Rick. It's, in fact, an essay that came out before this particular website reviewed a bunch of wines. Uh, okay. And here's what it says. Rosé has jumped the shark, hasn't it? When we started, name of this site removed so we don't get sued, back in 2007, Rosé was not such a hot-button topic. Its growth over the past 11 years is astounding. Nielsen reports that sales of still rosé have risen 65% since last year. 
But now that everyone has jumped on the rosé bandwagon, where are we headed? Many of the great brands have made their first rosés in just the past few years, and most do not disappoint. But while imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, we should remain vigilant as we wade through the great 21st century rosé glut. Okay, so here's uh, well, well, there's, why, there's why a, is jump the shark in there? Well, here's the thing: jump the shark means gone over the top. It's no good anymore. Nobody likes it. So, As Yogi Berra used to say, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Yes. Well, so this is the you know there's I mean there's a whole lot of really stupid writing things that we're going to make fun of, including all those cliches. But the first okay, thing good. is this is the classic wine writer critic of some sort often, trying to say I'm smarter than I'm, everybody I'm else. I'm too cool for this trend. Right. I'm and done. Yet, I'm done with it. And yet it turns out that Rosé grew 65% last year alone. And if these guys are jumping the shark, they are, if you will allow me to use my own cliche, missing the boat, which is maybe where they end up with the sharks. I was. I had to do the math on the cliche mix there. So, so he well, missed the boat, splashed in the water, and, and the shark ate and him. And the shark ate him. It's, it probably uh, should in this case. I think because so. this guy. Yeah. So he's giving all these reasons why rosé is still hot and still popular, and in fact, yes. new brand, new, new wines, new wine brands are now making the first and making it well. And everybody's jumped on the rosé bandwagon. Yes. So there's something clearly wrong with that. Yes. 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 So yeah. Uh, so because bandwagons aren't good. So this Rick. is, and that's, I, I know that. I know bandwagons aren't Unless good. you are a band and you need to get somewhere. <laughs> How else? I don't know. Maybe a band truck. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's the thing. And this, this, uh, this is also a uh, cliche-laden. We should remain vigilant. Yes, yes. Eternal vigilance is the price of rosé. Sincere for and flammery. And in fact, jump the shark is a cliche. Yep. Um, so here he is trying to be cool, and all he's shown himself is to be is cliche. And if he thinks it's a hot-button topic. A hot-button topic has actually got that backwards, because that would be a debatable topic. And it's not. Nobody's debating this. Topic. It's 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 a hot topic. It's not a hot button topic. Yes. So, Mr. Wine Writer person, uh, take you've, a writing class. You've missed the boat and jumped the landed shark. Landed in the water with the shark. Landed in the water off Which the bank. Which 95% of you. <laughs> Aspired to. Yes. <laughs> shark got full. <laughs> All right. So, this is a description of uh, a rosé from that same writer. Oh, good. So, yes. we now get to see how good he or she is. Yes. Creamy floral notes of rose petal and watermelon with a spicy pepper note, some soft cherry and crisp and crisp mineral slate. Okay, I wanted the last for it, the last three words, Rick. Crisp mineral slate. Yeah. Crisp mineral. Crisp yes. mineral slate. Because there are other kinds of slate, not mineral slate. Yes. With these, yes. Uh, there's, a, uh, there, there's your mineral slate, your animal slate, or your vegetable slate. Yes. Well, this is the mineral slate. <laughs> right. So, me- <laughs> like this, mellow and tart on the palate, uh, on entry, but developing. What the hell does that mean? Well, that's, those are opposites. Um, <laughs> and developing some zest towards the finish. This is light and easy drinking with strawberry and cherry notes and a chunk of earth alongside the fruit. So, Ooh. creamy floral, by the way. A chunk of earth by the fruit. Yeah, it's the gets in your teeth. Ew. They got it. I, 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 and, and how can you smell that the pepper's spicy? It doesn't well, just smell like pepper. Because there's pepper. That, that's, there's the famous mild pepper. Ah, because I was going to say, I thought all pepper was spicy. But... <laughs> pepper is, in fact, a spice. But you know what I'm thinking? This description junked the shark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking this description got a failing grade in yes. high school English. Yes, so uh, we're not. Yeah, yeah. there's uh, there is a there is a if if anything, however, in this horrible wine writing, there's a consistency in both the argument and in the description. Yes, unclear. Yes, this is, is not a crystal clear, star bright 
style of writing. All right. Well, we are going to go back and attempt, uh, aspire to answer some more questions. Yes. So this one comes from Dave Inventor. Okay. He says, what's the deal about vineyards on hillsides? We were wine tasting, and every place we went, they talked about that. Does it make wine better? Great question. Well, it does make uh, wine steep. <laughs> Actually, it does make it steeply priced. It's steep in price. Yeah. Uh, technically, I mean, the, 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 the theory is that wines that are grown on hillside, the soils aren't as deep on hillsides as they are in the valley floor. So the, the vines have to struggle a bit more. They're more well-drained soils. Right. The when water the vines struggle, it, it flows down then they produce more concentrated food. That's the theory. The irony is that a lot of this is 2,000-year-old philosophy presented by the Romans. And the reason they planted grapes on the hillsides very simply, they wanted the cold air to come down the hillside and settle in the valley floor. They didn't want the grapes to freeze, so planting them on the hillsides kept them free of frost. And the other thing is they needed the richer soil in the valley exactly. floor to grow wheat. Right. And Crops so they meant more to them, actually. That's, yeah. where, that's right. You actually ate wheat, wine you just drank. So that's where all of this comes from, and people are still quoting it 2,000 years later. Is it true? You and I have both had fabulous wines that came from hillsides and fabulous wines that came from places that weren't hillsides. Well, I'll say this about uh, hillside vineyards. Yes. They're pretty. <laughs> I think that matters. <laughs> I think that's $10 yes. a bottle right there. Right there. This came from yeah. a really pretty vineyard. <laughs> so I, I, I'll, the other thing might be this is that because of what Paul was just saying, the, the impression in there is true. Drainage does help and, and vines that struggle do often make concentrated fruit. Is but, that what we do on the show? If we struggle on this we show, are, does the end result become we more We are concentrated? more concentrated. It's true. <laughs> that's a scary thought. Uh, but, uh, we should concentrate so, more. Right? And, and they do. And, and Farming is more expensive on a hillside, too. Uh, wines do tend to cost more. And because they do tend to cost more, they tend to do a better job on their hillside vineyards. Right. So in right. essence, you know, it's a little bit of the uh, – wait a minute. Let me, let me come up with a cliche, the putting the cart before the bandwagon horse. <laughs> uh, the, the shark. The, putting the shark before the horse. Yes. It would be a cart before the shark. Is that what it would be? Is that what it would <laughs> that's be? That's what we need to do. Okay. All right. So, so, Dave, that's it. There's a little bit to it, and there's a little bit of marketing to of it. Of hokum to it. Yep. Yep. Uh, this is from Lynn in Elk Grove. Okay. Um, this is a – I like this question because this is a, a – a, it's a it's a debate of sorts. But we got some nice wine glasses, and the advice we got was to not use soap when we wash them. Does that really matter, and what else are we supposed to use? No, you're just supposed to spit in them and wipe them clean, Yes, yes what I do. <laughs> By the way, it was nice having you for dinner last night. <laughs> Excellent. Um, now, the concern here, Lynn, has nothing to do with soap used in wine glasses. It has to do with how carefully you rinse the glasses after you wash them. Yeah. And the simple answer is if you rinse them carefully, it solves the problem. A lot of wineries, a lot of wine labs, et cetera. We at Napa College, when we wash our glasses, we give them an extra rinse cycle to make sure that there's no soap left on them. That's the only concern. It's right. The residue of soap. The the, the very expensive glasses, they'll tell you that in part because they don't want you to leave soap on there because they don't want you your glasses. And right. you know, they'll be thinner. One of the things is also that as you do wash glasses, we'll say this which was really off the subject, but it matters, is when you hand wash a glass, hold the bowl. Don't uh -huh. hold the stem because yeah. often the, the more expensive glasses, actually, the connection is very kind of tenuous. So that's really the difference between drinking wine and washing. Drinking wine, you hold the stem, not the bowl. 
washing, you hold the bowl, not the stem. I just, I just use the Rick, bottle. Rick, this is cool. Yeah. So, yeah, you just drink out of yeah. the bottle and it solves but, all the problems. But it is that. And the the thing, actually, another kind of, uh, it's it's also about your your glass getting pretty. So sometimes you you, know, you polish it with a clean cloth or something. Right. Or, or as Rick does, just spit in it and right, wipe yeah. it on your sleeve. Yeah. The good news is that uh, the alcohol level in wine will kill most human pathogens. Yes, it will. So yes, you, it will. you are safe as a Although it hasn't killed us, so yeah. it ain't that effective. <laughs> <laughs> so it's true. Uh, but it... <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. We are ninety-five percent human pathogens. Is what we are. Um, we right. aspire to be. All right. all right. Well, before we kill anybody else, let's close the show for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Devin Cortan. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thank you, Mar- Jeremy, as well. And thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Yep. Look for us. Uh, ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at at. Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's imitation. May or may not be flattery, but sometimes it can make you a few bucks. It can. <laughs> All right. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the ones you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially with us, even if they are 95% fake. <laughs>